0: Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Chuck, did everybody see Chuck? You made it. Let's give give God a hand. Sure. You look good, my brother. Let's pray quickly. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you this morning. Father, a few weeks ago, we prayed for your servant, Chuck. You've taken him into the surgery ward, you've, you've worked with the hands of the surgeon, you've, you've brought him out, you've blessed, his, um, you've blessed him with the presence of his two daughters, and we just want to thank you, and, and, his, and his lady by his side. Thank you so much for his health. Thank you that you've restored him back to us. We give you all glory and praise and honor for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I, I need a little bit of help. Those of you who were here last week will remember the plant looked bad last week. It looks worse this week. So if anybody knows how to fix that, please come and help me. I have no idea, and I want to record how you do it, because I'm sure there's a spiritual lesson in there. All right, this is the series that we're busy with, the 10 topics that Jesus spoke about the most we've uh, covered so far, four of them. I know last week was a little bit hardcore. It was a tough one to deal with and we're going to deal with the fifth one today. Just wanted to show you the photos quickly. Those of you who didn't see it, we have um, Darren and, and Savannah getting baptized. And there's um, the two young gentlemen from, that was on, on Friday, um, Zach and Zane. So just welcome them. They've gone to Sunday school. Um, please just welcome them. So I don't know um, if it's ever happened to you. I've got young kids. And if you want to really develop a low self-esteem um, ask your kid to, paint, uh, to draw a picture of what you look like. It's one of the best ways to really feel bad about yourself. Your ears will be big. Your, everything that you d- dislike about yourself will be accentuated. So teachers sometimes do this. They ask, their kids to, they ask the, sc- the school kids to write uh, or draw pictures of, for example, what their parents are doing. And I came across this one. When I grow up, I want to be like mommy. This is a horrible picture and I thought to myself, imagine what this teacher thought when she got this, because it looks like um, a bunch of people with money and an exotic dancer on a pole. The mother finds out that her daughter had, written, had, had drawn this um, picture, and she's devastated. She's like, what's going on here? And I've got the, the little um, letter here that she wrote to the teacher, and she said, I wish to clarify that I'm not now, this is the mother writing to the teacher, I'm not now, nor have I ever been, an exotic dancer. I work at Home Depot, and I told my daughter how crazy it was last week before the blizzard hit. I told her we sold out every single shovel we had, and then found one more in the back room, and that several people were fighting over who would get it. (laughs) It's it's interesting how kids can... (laughs) draw pictures. And then I came across this one. Mom will be so proud I got Timmy to sleep. Now those of you who can't see, <laughs> I don't think that worked out too well for old, old, old Timmy. He's, he's busy being suffocated by his father. The reason why I introduced us to these is because I came across this beautiful painting. Absolutely incredible. That was, that was painted by a man. I think he's from France. That's about 250 odd years ago, somewhere around there, where he painted this. Absolutely incredible. What do you think? Can you believe that a human being without a printer and a computer can make something like that? Now, you guys can't really see that. Well, let me just switch off here for in case. But, I mean, I don't know if that helps, but that's really, really neat. And, And this is called the triumph of Christianity over paganism. Um, Painted by Paul Gustave Dore. And he lived there between 1821 and 1883. I came across the story of him doing this painting. And and what struck me was that on one occasion he was traveling throughout Europe, uh, visiting different countries. And he was obviously famous. And so he maybe presented some of his paintings and things. And somewhere along the line he lost his passport. Um, which I I think is devastating for people who's traveling uh, abroad. I mean, when I travel and I'm on a plane, that that, that thing is is, is tied with sellotape around my leg. It's not going anywhere because I fear losing it. And he gets to a border post of one of the countries, and he realizes he doesn't have his passport with him. So he says to the guy at the counter, obviously you will recognize me because he's famous. This guy's in the newspapers, uh, Paul." Yeah, yeah, you know who I am, you know, please just let me go through. And the guy says to him, no, I'm not going to let you through. There's many people that come to this border post and say, they are so and so and so. And yeah, we don't allow anybody to go through without their passport. And the guy keeps on begging. Paul keeps on begging and begging and being, please just let me in. And then eventually the official says, um, you know what, we can do something about that. There's three peasants sitting over there by the road, um, why don't you draw a picture of them quickly? Here's a pen and, and, and some paper, some, a pencil and paper. And within a few minutes, he drew them absolutely perfectly, like nobody else could. What a great way to prove you are who you are, right? And the guy led him through. And this thought came to my mind. His work confirmed his word. He said he was this guy, but how do you prove that you are that guy? Prove it by what you do. Prove it by your, your, uh, your, the fruit of, of your labor. That is essentially what's leading us into the fifth topic that Jesus spoke about. Number five, Jesus' di- divine identity. Jesus' divine identity. That is the thing that Jesus spoke about the fifth most. He had to tell His people, He had to tell His disciples, He had to tell the crowds, he had to tell the Pharisees continually who he was. It was important that they understood who he was. And what's interesting, every time he tells them who he is, they don't believe him. The same as old Paul. He tells them, I am God in flesh. They won't believe him. I am the king of the Jews. They don't want to believe that. They don't want to accept him as the Messiah two different occasions, for example, he in, in one occasion, he's busy with the Gentiles. In another occasion, he's busy with one of his disciples. He essentially says to them, if you don't believe my word, at least believe my works. The same as Paul. He said, well, okay, you don't want to believe it's me. Let me draw a picture for you and show you who I am. And obviously, in this context, Jesus is saying, you don't believe I'm the son of God. Look at my miracles. At least look at them. And then believe that I am who you um, don't want to believe that I am. So, in any case, people didn't want to really believe who he was and who he claimed to be. They called him a false prophet from Nazareth. Some people called him just a a carpenter. Um, Some people believed he was just the leader of poor peasants. Uh, They accused him of being a glutton and a drunkard, a lover of sinners. And when they couldn't debate with his miracles, when they saw the miracles... And they didn't know what to do with that. They said, well, okay, then you are demon-possessed. You are doing this by the power of Beelzebub. But we will not accept you as the Son of God, that you came from heaven. So either, every way Jesus went, um, people didn't want to believe that He is who He claimed to have been. And eventually, He was killed for the claims that He made. Um, guys, it's still the same today. People say Jesus is a mythical figure, made up by poor Jews suffering under Roman rule. Some people say that Jesus was a good man, but that is about it. Some people say that Jesus was a great preacher. And yes, he was probably a real historical figure and he was a moral person. Or he was a first century political activist who received divine status after his death. But he was just a man. He was not God. He was not divine. But Jesus himself says something quite different. He told us who he was. And the way he said it is extremely powerful and is deeply meaningful. Now there's a word going around that we often hear on, on the news. And it's, it's deeply embedded in the ideology that's being pushed by the universities. And it's self-identity. That's really what this lesson is about. What is the self-identity of Jesus Christ. We live in very interesting times where people can decide what they want to be, right? You want to be a specific uh, sex? You can choose to be that. Um, people can even choose to be animals lately, it seems like. I this, was, this happened this week. I don't know who saw this. This guy's name is Toku. Do you know who I'm talking about? Did anybody see this? Nobody? You saw this, Shelley? You saw this, Zach. Who do you think I'm talking about? I'm talking about the dog, ladies and gentlemen. That dog is a human being. He's a Japanese guy. He spent $22,000 to make himself look like that. He went this week for his first walk in the park with his owner over there. Can you believe it? Look at that. $22,000. He made it his life goal to be an animal. Obviously, he can never be an animal. But he claimed to be. (laughs) Gail, you must see your face. Gail is like, what? People are insane. I'm telling you, the world is going insane. People want to be things that they are not. You cannot change your identity. Jesus couldn't. This was the challenge for Jesus. Jesus was God. How do you convince the world of that? It's like this guy. Try to convince me you're a dog. You can do what you want. You can't convince me. So Jesus had a rough one, right? It's very hard. I mean, they say that his brother didn't even want to believe that he's God. Well, if I had a brother, I'd probably also not want to believe that. Um, So I think it was was extremely, extremely difficult. Now, it's not the same with Jesus. This is not the same as Jesus. He claimed to be God, and he proved to be God. He proved that he was God. He didn't make baseless self-identity statements. And we need to listen carefully to those self-identity statements, which he makes about 117 times in the New Testament. And I, I really want to challenge us, and because I've got a challenge for the world, I've, I've got a challenge for the, for, for the woke out there, because it's really, we, we think that this is, this is crazy, and it's only happening out there in the world by people who, who don't believe in God. Have you guys heard of the Sparkle Creed? Anybody? You've heard of the Sparkle Creed? I'm going to read it for us. This is a new creed that's going around in churches. That people are now reading in their churches. As a church body, they read this together. So this, this type of self-identity stuff is coming into our churches as well. Um, I believe in the non-binary God whose pronouns are plural. I believe in Jesus Christ, their child. Their child. Who wore a fabulous tunic and had two dads. And saw everyone as a sibling child of God. Do you see where this is going? I believe in the rainbow spirit who shatters our image of one white light. So God is no longer one light. He's not an unapproachable light. No, 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 that's nonsense. We've got to look at the rainbow uh, which reflects into a rainbow of gorgeous diversity. I believe in the church of everyday saints as numerous, creative, and resilient as patches on the AIDS quilt. Don't know what that is. Whose feet are grounded in mud and whose eyes gaze at the stars in wonder. I believe in the call to each of us that love is love is love. So, beloved, let us love. I believe, glorious God. Help my unbelief. Amen. Now, I'm just throwing that out there because we've got to give God what He claims to be Himself. Right? Because we live in a time where if, if somebody claims to be a, a, a female, claims to be a male, we have to respect that. Right? Similarly, if God claims to be male, which He does right through the Bible, we need to respect that self-identity of God. And if Jesus says that He is God in flesh, we have to respect that to be true too. Yeah, interesting times. Don't worry. So I've looked at all 117 divine identity statements of Jesus. And I've put them into four uh, four categories for us to look at today just briefly and then make some closing observations. First of all, Jesus speaks of himself as the son of man more than 80 times. For hundreds of years, people have debated exactly what this means. Because the term son of man simply means son of Adam or child of Adam or of the seed of Adam. And so some people would say, well, there's nothing really meaningful about it. Um, He's just a a human being. Um, I beg to differ, and I'm going to give you some reason today. Because when Jesus mentioned this at one point, it actually cost him his life. They decided to kill him. Now, in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is being questioned. Uh, Verse 61, but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest. Now, where, where is Jesus? He's standing in the presence of the greatest scholars of his time. He's standing in the presence of the Sanhedrin. The high priest is questioning him and saying to him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus responds, I am. Yes, I am. I'm the Messiah. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. That's how Jesus responds to this guy. How do you think they responded to that statement of Jesus? Look at what happened. The high priest tore his clothes. Now when a high priest tears his clothes of his body, then you know, whoa, this is serious, man. You said something really bad. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy, and the guards took him and beat him, and that went on to the crucifixion. It's like, whoa, what is so bad about what I said? I am. You asked me if I'm the Messiah. I said yes, and then I just quoted to you something that a man dreamed about 600 years ago because Jesus was literally just quoting what Daniel dreamed 600 years before that. Can you imagine being punished to death for just quoting somebody else's dream? Right? That's crazy. Anyways, what was the dream? Well, if you go to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is experiencing, he has this vision that there's four beasts. They look funny. They behave differently. They are just weird. And when Daniel sees these four beasts coming out of the sea, it just makes him terrified, and then, in the midst of this scene and this terrifying experience, he sees what he calls the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is who? It's the God who lives in unapproachable light. And he is just bright, his face shines, and he has got white hair, white like, like wool. Um, And Daniel depicts this and he sees this throne and the throne upon which God sits is just on flames and there's wheels beneath the throne. They're on fire as well. And then there's this river flowing of sulfur from the throne. And before the throne, he says he sees thousands upon thousands of servants serving God. And then he says he sees ten thousands upon ten thousands of um, people standing in awe of the presence of God. And in the middle of this whole situation, Daniel says, and then I saw books were opened and the court was convened. And then he says the following. At that moment, in my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This was absolutely unique in Daniel's day. Daniel has got an image of the judgment scene. That the God of heaven and earth is there. And the whole human race is in front of God. And then then he sees, well, there's somebody that... That's coming down that looks like a human being. That's where the term son of man comes from. That's a unique character. That's a unique individual. And when Jesus says, I am that guy, that blows the minds of these guys. It cannot be that you are the person that Daniel dreamed about. Jesus is making a profound statement when he says, I'm the son of man. I'm the guy that Daniel dreamed about in Babylon. I'm the guy that will judge the world. I'm the guy to whom you high priest, you will bow down in front of me. I receive all glory and authority from the God of heaven and earth. You have no idea who you're dealing with. That's why it was utter blasphemy for them. They refused to accept that. Not only does Jesus call himself the son of man, but Jesus calls himself what? The son of God. I think a very familiar Uh, term that we pick up. At various times and in numerous ways, Jesus called himself God's son. The term son of man, in a sense, uh, developed from Daniel's dream was because he looked like a human being, right? But he's got some form of divine authority. But when you call yourself the son of God, you are claiming to be uh, made of divine substance as well, that you're not just a man. And people get confused. Did Jesus become God's son when Mary was miraculously impregnated? Or was Jesus God's son before that? According to the Apostle John, Jesus did not become the son of God through the virgin birth. He was always the son of God. Jesus existed before the earth existed because he created it. Jesus was the offspring of God. He came from God. He came out of God. And he was an exact representation of his being but so what i'm not really going to deal with verses where jesus calls himself the son of god i want to go to a verse where god from heaven says this is my son do you remember the transfiguration when jesus is with his disciples his three closest ones and he transfigures in front of him it's sort of like he shifts from son of man to son of god that's almost the scene that i'm depicting there because he he goes into a different form it seems like And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. And, you know, this is the verse that just came into my head as I was dealing with this topic. And this is so personal, isn't it? Whoa. I've got sons, and I I, I can't imagine... How proud the Father in heaven is of His Son. But look at what He said. He says to them, this is my Son. In actual fact, the NIV says my beloved Son. In actual, what is God telling us? He says, I love Him. I love Him. If you want to honor me, and you can go ask any parent here. You want to love God? Love His Son. You want to show honor and respect to God? Love His Son, right? We've spoken about that. And then secondly, he says, with him, I'm well pleased. If you want to please God, be like my son. Simple. Because if you really want to keep the God of heaven and earth happy, go find Jesus and copy him. And God of heaven will be very happy with you. And the last one is very important to me. Listen to him. There's like, it's, it's like, you've got to use your ears, man. When Jesus speaks, listen to what he says. Because from heaven, God confirmed that he, that Jesus is his son. All right. And then the one, the third one that I think we are most familiar with is Messiah. Now, Jesus referred to himself as the Messiah in quite a few different ways. And Messiah simply means the promised and anointed one. Let me show you three different ways um, that he was spoken of. The Christ. The first time that we see he he calls himself the Christ or he acknowledges that he was the Christ was with a woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. The text tells us the Jews and Samaritans have been waiting in eager expectation for the Christ. They've been waiting for quite a few thousand years. How did they know the Christ would come? Well, here's some of the text. Deuteronomy 18, 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your own fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. And then in verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. Essentially, when Jesus admits to being the Christ, he is saying I am the one you have been waiting for. I'm, I'm the one that has been in God's plans. I am the one that Satan has been fearing. I am the one who's come to heal your lives. But not only is Jesus referred to as the Christ, He's also referred to as the son of David. Two blind men follow Jesus. They run after Him and they shout, Have mercy on us, son of David. When Jesus healed the demon-possessed man, the crowds shouted, Could this be the son of Of David. The Canaanite woman seeking healing for a child said to Jesus, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. People were waiting for the son of David, although David had lived a thousand years before. Now we know where was Jesus born? Same place as David, right? Where David came from, Bethlehem. And David was a hero. But Jesus was more than a physical son of David, He, he was also David's Lord. Psalm 110, verse 1 tells us that Jesus was greater than David. Jesus says in Revelation 22 verse 16, I am the root and the offspring of David. And I think this messed with the people's minds in the first century. What do you mean? How do we make sense of Psalm 110 and verse 1? Uh, Guys, I I know I'm talking about things that you need to go study at home, and I, I don't want this to turn into a Bible study, but all I want to point out with this is that Jesus is both the creator of David And the descendant of David. Only God made flesh can make this statement. And lastly, thirdly, the king of the Jews. On a quiet night. Wise men. Worshippers of the stars. Worshippers of foreign gods. Arrived in Jerusalem and guess what they asked. This is their question. People who didn't believe in our God. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Looking for Jesus. The pagans were informed by God that the king has been born. Even Pilate, the Roman ruler, was, con- was convicted that Jesus Christ is indeed the king of the Jews. That is why he put this on top of Jesus' head on the cross. He had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Pagan rulers knew he was the king. Even Roman rulers knew that. But the Jews refused to believe it. Instead, they killed him for claiming it. Alright, that's Messiah, Son of God, Son of Man. Lastly, the fourth one. Jesus says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last letter in the alphabet. Jesus is saying, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and the end. He has no beginning of days or end of life. He was there before you and I were thoughts, and he will be around when we have been forgotten. He stood on the edge of creation where there was nothing. He was at the Big Bang if the Big Bang ever happened. He was the Big Bang if the Big Bang ever happened. He saw the universe without the earth, and he will stand on the edge of a destroyed heaven and earth at the end, and everything is done with. I don't know about you, I want to be friends with this guy. He cannot break. He cannot be killed. He cannot give up. He cannot become weak. He can't get tired. He will never fall. He will never fail. He's our Lord. And I want to close this section off by going back to verse 16. I, Jesus, Revelation 22, I sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. The scholars believe that this is a reference to the planet Venus because it typically appeared appears in the western sky from 4 a.m. prior to sunrise. It is perhaps the brightest star in the sky, except the sun and the moon, and often you can see it in the day. It was also a star that led the Magi to Jesus. So stars seem to be important. There are so many unique features of Venus, but let me just throw one thing at us, one key thought in line with what I'm talking about. Jesus brings a new day, A fresh start. And he is up before the sun. He's awake before you and I. He's the beginning and the end. Okay. That's 117 verses summarized into 10 minutes of talking. I had to think long and hard about this lesson. um, Because there's loads of theory and I've really tried to simplify it. Loads of scripture, loaded with deep theology. Um, But what does this mean to us? Like, Jesus claims to be the Son of God. He claims to be the Son of Man. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, first and last. The Messiah, the Christ. What does that mean to us? So, if Jesus is who he claims to be, four points from me. Book your space in Daniel's dream. It's incredible for me to think about this, that when Daniel dreamed, dreamt, I don't know, Dave, dreamed or dreamt? (laughs) Okay, cool. I mean, he saw Jesus before Jesus lived. He, he He saw the son of man, human being type, before Jesus was born. But Daniel says there were crowds of people there at the scene as well. What if he saw you and me? What if we were in that crowd? What if Daniel has already dreamed about us being there? Because that was a vision into the future. It's a vision of the judgment day. It wasn't just a dream, it was a real vision of what will happen. Some will be standing, some will be serving, some will be burning. I want to have a good seat at that judgment. I was thinking about this. Um, so, rugby is very big in South Africa. Brother Dave, you're going to be roped into it. You, me, and your friend. <laughs> the Rugby World Cup is coming this this September. So, in any case, we've got big stadiums in South Africa. Like, I assume there are big stadiums here. Um, like Like the football is here. So, we used to go and, and, and watch the rugby, and you, you want to buy the best seat, right? But the best seats are always expensive. And I was a poor, scruffy little kid. We had the stadium there, I think, uh, Kings Park in Durban, took about 55,000 people. And, and you know, so you always sit for, it looks like little ants running in the field. You know, you want to be closer than that and be part of the game. And I think I was 16 years old, and uh, we went to the, we went to go get to, to the, restroom or whatever and there's these girls that came walking up to us and they they said me and my friend they said hey do you want to sit in the jacuzzi with us and watch the game (laughs) and i'm like that's the best seat on the field because what they would do is they would put the jacuzzi right on the field so you, you literally sit in the jacuzzi and you watch the um you watch the game i'm like yes please okay all you have to do is go buy a can of um, Lipton iced tea and meet us back here in 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, right, that's gonna happen. Mm. Now, they were pretty girls, let's be honest about it. And I had a girlfriend, by the way, and she's sitting in the stands. <laughs> so I'm like, well, this is, an oppo- this is a great seat, once in a lifetime opportunity. I mean, let's just do it, you know, go buy the Lipton iced tea, get back. Lo and behold, they waited for us. They took us inside into the, the changing rooms where the players' changes and you know, we met some famous people, I'm like, this cannot be true, and we go in, they give us towels, they give us clothes to wear, and because obviously it's advertisement, you know, the cameras are going to be on us, you know, and I'm like, this is incredible, get into the jacuzzi, watch the whole game in the jacuzzi, afterwards, some of the players jumped into the jacuzzi, got to meet them, and, and there's a mascot, you guys have mascots running around the fields, so in Durban, it's, it's a shark, I got to tackle the shark, what a cool experience, My poor girlfriend sitting on the stands alone the whole game. I was like, ah, what a boyfriend. She only realized where I was when she saw me on the screen. (laughs) Can you imagine that? I was thinking about that. I was thinking about, wouldn't it be incredible at the judgment scene to be in a seat like that? To have a special seat. And you know what? Here's the beauty. You don't get the special seat by being incredible. There's nothing that I did to earn the seat in that jacuzzi. Go buy a can of Lipton iced tea. That's like nothing, man. That's quick. That's like five bucks in South African. that's like 10 cents in American, by the way. And it cost me nothing. The same is with Christ. I believe we'll all get a great seat at the judgment when we trust Him with our lives. That judgment scene is not a thing to fear. The real thing is this. How attached are we to the Son of Man? Because He's the one that's going to make that ultimate judgment. The Almighty, the ancient of days, he's sitting on his throne there at the back, and there's a and there's, there's the lake of sulfur in front of him, but he's not he's not really he's not the person there deciding, it's his son that paves the way for us to get to eternity with God. Number two, make time for the Son. Make time for the Son. Because the Father had said, This is my son, listen to him. God sent His Son. He saw His Son suffer. He gave His Son a message. He ignored His Son while He was crying for help, hanging on a cross. Why? For us. The Ancient of Days is telling us today, listen to my Son. We have 31,426 words of Jesus in the Scriptures, in this Bible that we have. We have 24,000 copies Of those writings, they are accurate, they are reliable. It is estimated that it would take you 242 minutes to read them all aloud. That is four hours. We can read all the words of Jesus in four hours. We could do this every week. Every week. But we don't sometimes because we convince ourselves it's powerless, ineffective. I don't think that's how God views it. The Almighty says, listen to Him. I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ that you make time for His Son. Thirdly, no, it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Do you know what God went through to bring the Messiah into the world? God protected the seed of Adam the seed of Eve, from the garden to the cross. He protected the birth of Christ. He protected the kingly lineage through David so that Jesus could come into the world. The killing of Abel, the flood, the exodus, King David, the exile, all the way through. God was present. He planned it. He purposed it. He predicted it. And it came to, tr- to truth. It came to reality. In the same way, you can be sure that if you trust in the promised and anointed one, the Messiah, that your eternity is secure. Relax. It's okay. Question this morning. Do you trust Jesus? Because if you do, it's okay. This life is okay. The hardships are fine. The broken body is cool. You're going to get a new one. You don't like your house. Don't worry. Jesus is busy building your a new one. It's all going to be okay. If you're without Him, that's when you need to worry. God is in control. And your new heaven and earth is coming. And lastly, live your life on the surest foundation. When Jesus says He's the first and the last, He's saying, I will outlast everything. He will outlast your money. He will outlast your time. He will outlast your pain. He will outlast your struggles and your worries. So when you base your life on Him, He is Solid. I know it's hard to agree with people's self-identity statements when you can see that they are not who they claim to be. But one thing we can be guaranteed of, no matter how hard it is, if Jesus says He's the Messiah, He is the Son of God and the Son of Man that Daniel saw in his dream.